You're listening to the Sunday podcast from Life Point Church in Santan Valley, Arizona. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. For more information, visit us online at lifepointaz.com. Well, good morning, church. Good morning. good morning to those of you watching online. We are grateful that you are here with us and spending this time with us. Uh, we, like I said, we're going to be talking about gift giving and how that ties into our four pillars. But first of all, uh, we just ended a series on what we call covenant, which is a relationship between you and the leaders and elders of the church where we know each other, we're connected with each other. And uh, through that, you know what we stand for and believe as a church. We also uh, do calls once a, month, uh, once a quarter to you, just how are you doing, what's going on in your family, and it creates a connectedness between the two of us. And so if you want to know more about that at the end of third service next week, Sunday the 9th, <clears throat> frog, then we will be showing those videos. It's about an hour and a half of uh, videos just on the different sections of the church and answering a lot of the questions you might have about who we are as a church. And then uh, free lunch, so there's that. And then we pray with you and your family and uh, you're in covenant with us. And so if you want to do that, put it on your calendars for about one o'clock next Sunday. Make sense? Any questions? Perfect. Excellent. Just the way I like it. All right. Four pillars. Uh, we, when I first came out here, uh, I worked with our elder board to establish at the time what I call our four pillars which all revolved around missional giving. So we had local missions, uh, charities around the valley, we had global missions, and those were Philippines and Kenya and Ecuador and all the places, Belize, that we've been to. And then we had outreach, so events like drive-in movie night where we put on a big event, VBS, for the neighbors where it's free or virtually free and uh, it's our outreach to let the neighbors know we love them and we're here to support them. And then fourth, what we call benevolence, which is the ability to have finances to practically meet people's needs in our community when they come on hard times, groceries, gas, rent, uh, utilities, those kind of things, being able to really help people. And so that was the original four pillars. And as we got together and discussed this summer, pastors and elders, we said, you know, as a church, as we've grown, we've become so much more as a foundation. And so you'll see here, we have missions and outreach, which is that global part and local part of our missions. We have our community, which is the benevolence, it's the life care, like what uh, David just talked about here, going and doing uh, not only help with the San Carlos, but second Saturday of every month, and then throughout the month, we do events where men, after the men's breakfast, we can get together, go spend a couple of hours and take care of lawns and do some painting and whatever is needed through the requests that come in through our life care email. So that's community. That's how we want to serve our community, be the hands and feet of Jesus there. And then discipleship. Discipleship is so unbelievably important. If we aren't creating disciples, if all we're creating is converts, then as a church, we're failing. We're failing you and we're failing the community. Because converts, don't get me started on just somebody who's a convert, but they haven't become a disciple. Converts don't care about anybody else yet. Converts haven't realized their new identity in Christ. Converts may have come up and said a prayer because of fear of what might happen in their afterlife. But a disciple is somebody who has submitted their self to Christ and said, you are my Lord, you are my Savior. 
I want what you want. I want to see your kingdom come. Lead me, guide me, teach me, Lord. And that's a disciple, and we want to create disciples. So we have mentorship programs, discipleship programs, Freedom in Christ ministries. We've got small groups for men and women, small groups for couples, small groups for teens, small groups for babies. We don't have baby small group yet. We're working on it. It's not quite there. We have so many opportunities that we want to disciple you. We don't just want you to come on a, uh, our youth on Wednesday night and it's just games. No, there's really deep teaching. There's small groups that break up after the teaching because we believe that discipleship starts at a young age, right? How many of you here wish you were being discipled at a younger age, right? And then last but not least is teaching. Teaching is the way the church seeks to explain what it means to be a Christian. And here at uh, LifePoint, as you'll notice, we usually have a lot of Scripture. We, we want, I want to read a lot of Scripture because I know that within the Scripture, it is pure truth. It is divine truth. And I know that anything I say to help explain it, the Lord is, by, by my absolute hope and laying my life down, assisting me and leading me. But I don't want to get so far off. I, I don't want to read a single scripture and then spend 39 minutes expounding on what I think about it. I want a concept to come from the Lord, and then I want to see what he says about it. And so that's how we teach here at LifePoint. And by, through those four things, this is what the Lord gave me, this is our gift to our community. Our gift as a church to our community is these four things, missions and outreach, service to the community, creating disciples, not just converts, and then teaching true godly truths. This is our gift. And as we look at gifts, our mission is to help people become fully devoted followers of Christ through serving, giving, and caring for our neighbor. That's our mission. Over the next four weeks, you're going to hear that over and over again. And there'll be a prize at the end of the month if you can repeat it without looking. But that really is it. And the word intentional is intentionally there. We don't just want to serve our neighbor by doing fundraisers or drives once a year. We, it's throughout the year. We want to be intentional. We know that wherever Jesus went, wherever the disciples went, they met practical needs, didn't they? They were always meeting practical needs of the people and then meeting spiritual needs. And we want the people in our neighborhoods and communities to know that, that God is, through the generosity of the people at this place, has given us the resources to be able to meet some of your practical needs, but there's a spiritual need which is so much greater. And then how do we fulfill this mission? It's through our vision, which is to help you develop your full potential in Christ while we continue to start new series and ministries and release leaders to fulfill their God-given desires. So that's where the equipping comes through discipleship and teaching. We are not just a church of five or six, seven pastors, wherever, wherever we're at now. We are a church of hundreds of disciples. And our job is to help organize and uh, coordinate this, the church, the body for Christ, give you opportunities to serve and let people see that coming to follow Jesus isn't a burden. It is the most freeing, life-changing thing you could possibly do. And that's our goal. All right. So how does gift giving tie into that? Well, giving, or, uh, giving a gift is favor or an item being bestowed upon someone. Favor or an item being bestowed upon someone. So there's really two big times every year where you can expect a gift, right? Your birthday and Christmas. It's all about the presents, right? If you're a good husband, maybe you give gifts on your anniversary. Should you remember it? 
should you remember it. But those are the two times we give gifts. We bestow honor upon people. We bestow favor upon them, right? And sometimes for some, a gift from somebody could just be time with them, right? Especially as you get older. All the kids in here are like, no thanks, I'll take the gift. Like the check will be fine. But as you get older, just spending time with some people is favor and it bestows honor upon them. Gifts are mentioned so many times throughout the Bible that I couldn't name them all, although I've got probably over 60 different verses and sections of Scripture here. I won't do them all, but I do want to go through and touch base. You see, gifts in the Bible are given for various purposes. This first one is one of my favorites, a dowry for a wife, right, men? Aren't you glad you no longer have to give like three cows, two chickens, a herd of goats? Genesis 34:12. this is the sons of Jacob. Make the price for the bride and the gift I am to bring as great as you like. I'll pay whatever you ask me, only give me the young woman as my wife. That man was really in love. He's like, I don't even care, make it whatever you want. However many chickens, animals, however much gold, however much linen, I'll bring it before you because she's worth it. <laughs> this one's especially great. Old Testament gifts are the best, by the way. It's the most culture shock to us is to read Old Testament gifts, such as 2 Samuel 8, 2. David also defeated the Moabites. He then made them lie down on the ground, measured them off with the length of cord, and every two lengths of them were put to death, and the third length was allowed to live. So the Moabites became subject to David and brought him tribute or gifts. That third guy was like, thank you so much for allowing me to live. I am so glad you placed me where you did and you started counting where you did. And they brought David, the king, gifts. You know, there's also a certain type of gift which isn't as honorable, which isn't quite as righteous. They're called bribes. Exodus 23.8, Proverbs 17.8, and Isaiah 1.23. The Bible has a lot to say about bribes, in fact. In Exodus, it says, do not accept a bribe, for a bribe blinds those who see and twists the words of the innocent. Proverbs 17.8, a bribe is seen as a charm by the one who gives it, and they think success will come at every turn. A person offering a bribe thinks they're doing you a favor, is what it's saying. And the Bible says they are not in any way doing you a favor. Isaiah 1.23, your rulers and rebels, partners with thieves, they all love bribes and chase after gifts. They do not defend the cause of the fatherless, and the widow's case does not come before them. Has anybody here ever received a bribe or given a bribe? Don't raise your hands. I'd hate for you to perjure yourself here. Have you ever received a bribe? I was thinking about this, and I was like, have I ever received a bribe? And I didn't think I had. And then I remembered that when I was running a maintenance and remodeling company in my early 20s, there was one job where the person gave me extra money at the end and said, hey, could you just leave these extra materials here? Which weren't mine to leave, right? It was another contractor, it was their stuff, but they were hoping by paying me this, you know, Finsky under the table, that I would just leave a few hundred dollars worth of materials there. And I guess that was a bribe. And I didn't do it, just in case you were wondering. But bribes are a false favor being presented upon somebody because all that is in the interest of the giver is their own interest. 
They do not care if the bribe hurts you. They do not care if the bribe ultimately is your downfall. They only care about themselves. And the last one I'll show you here from the Old Testament, Esther 9.22, a gift can be given as relief for the poor. As the time when the Jews got relief from their enemies and as the month when their sorrows was turned to joy and their mourning to a day of celebration, he wrote them to observe the days as days of feasting and joy and giving presents of food to one another and gifts to the poor. One of the things the Bible makes clear is that the poor will always be among us. That on this side of eternity, God is not going to wipe out poverty. And so for that us, that means that our job will never end. We will always be in, an, in a state of being able to give to others who are less fortunate on a downtime, difficult season of life. And so the idea of giving gifts isn't something which is seasonal. It's something which is part of the life of a believer. Do you believe that? Being a giver of gifts is something that is just being part of the life of a believer because both the Old Testament and New Testament attest us to the fact that God is the giver of every good gift. First Chronicles 29.14 says, But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you and we have given you only what has come from your hand. I love that recognition. We have only given what you have already given us, Lord. And that's the same message that we want to present here. Lord, whatever I have, it's not mine. It's, I give back what you have already so generously poured out on me. And then the New Testament, James 1.17, echoes this. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. God's nature of being a good giver of gifts is not going to change always going to be this way. So, this leads us to this question and this thought. Have you ever been given a gift that you felt was more of a burden than a gift? Here's a puppy. Right? Free of charge. I'll even give you a bag of food with it. We did this with two guinea pigs that my children absolutely had to have and then six months later, absolutely did not want. And I found it's hard to get rid of guinea pigs. Nobody will pay for secondhand guinea pigs. They will go to PetSmart and buy them brand new for some reason and all the stuff, but you can't give them away with the whole house and everything. I did find someone to give them away to. And now that person says, oh Lord, help me. I can't give them away. And I'm like, yes, that's my gift to you. Sometimes gifts can be a burden. Sometimes we look at a gift as a burden. If I were to offer you 10,000 acres, beautiful land, water and electrical already run through it, sitting right on the border of Ukraine and Russia, <laughs> it's yours. Go ahead, that's my gift to you. You do have to pay the taxes on it. I don't know who, to which country yet, that's still being determined. But you will have to make sure and pay for it, keep it up. That kind of gift seems like a burden, doesn't it? You know, there was a gift that uh, when I was 21 years old, 
when I bought the engagement ring to marry my wife, I had this whole plan, and I was going to do it in a month, and I was going to wait, and we were going to go up north and over the Grand Canyon, and it was going to be special. And once I had the ring, and I had asked her parents, I bought the ring on Tuesday, asked her parents on Wednesday, and Friday night, I was like, hey, will you marry me? <laughs> like, I couldn't wait. I was so excited to give the gift, and I'm like, ah, we'll have a whole lifetime to make memories. I was so excited. You see, the thing with Christianity is this. A lot of the world believes that the gift of salvation is more of a burden than it is a gift. They fear the burden of having to come under the yoke of religion, of having to change their lives, of having to be scrutinized, and it feels more like a burden rather than the joy of receiving an engagement ring. And so why is that? Why is it something that is talked about over and over and over again as freedom, as pure peace and joy and the giver of great gifts, the father of heavenly lights? And the truth is, I think we don't understand the words of Romans 5, 15 through 17 and 6, 23. So I want to read this with you here. I think we have it, yeah. But the gift is not like the trespass. This is talking about the trespass of Adam versus the gift of salvation from Christ. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the man, the one man, Jesus Christ? For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's eternal life. We know that we're not promised tomorrow. We know that every one of us here has an expiration date. And the gift that Christ came and gave is eternal or everlasting. It is without end. And so the only way that that could be seen as a burden would be if the disciples of Jesus make it look like a burden. You see, the early disciples went out and they changed the world because <laughs> the Holy Spirit wasn't a burden being set free from addiction and the chain and, sin and the bondage of sin wasn't a burden. It was like they were walking on air. And although they were being physically abused and thrown in jail and cursed and spit on and everything you can imagine, they just kept going and did it with a smile. And I talked about this last week. Paul's in prison and they just sing songs as he's just been beaten and then chained in the deepest recesses of the prison. Friends, we are disciples. Our gift to our neighbors and your co-workers and your other family members is that they would see your discipleship. That they would recognize that there is something different. They have the same hardships I have. They suffer the same pain, the same struggles, the same defeats. And yet they respond differently. How? 
how do you respond with joy? How do you not respond with criticism when someone's critical of you? How do you respond with truth and grace rather than gossip? How do you respond with joy when all you want to do is die inside? This is what we see over and over again in the scriptures, is the disciples face insurmountable odds, and yet the name of Jesus is spread across every continent of the earth, amen? The name of Jesus is worshiped by billions right now, this day, because of their joy in the Lord. And right now, when you see new disciples and new converts in nations where Christianity is outlawed, where you can be killed or jailed for just reading a Bible, possessing a Bible, that same joy is evident. The church is exploding in growth in those places. The problem we have, and I've mentioned it before, and this is part of our discipleship and part of our teaching, is that we have so many other options for joy, for peace, for comfort, right? We have so many other things competing with that discipleship. I want to be a disciple of this TV series on Netflix. I want to be a disciple of money, of health. I want to be a disciple of my children. And, and, and just everything I do in my life is about them. Jesus is just one of many options in our country. We don't see him as the option because we have so many options. And this is sort of the analogy I gave earlier. It'd be like somebody gifting you a Bugatti. Do you know what a Bugatti is? It's like a $3 million car. Unbelievably rare. Only a few are made every year. It's gorgeous. And if you're a car person, you know it's crazy expensive. Somebody gifting you the Bugatti. And then you go around and you're like, oh, it's such a pain. Speed bumps are a nightmare. It's terrible on gas. It only is a two-seater, so where do I put my eight children that doesn't even have a trunk? Right? And all you do is complain about it. It's been gifted to you, given to you. You never pay for anything. And then your other options, right, are fame and beauty and comfort and wealth and all the things the earth says, here, worship this, worship this. And that's like a gremlin or a pinto or a 1987 Honda Accord, my first car, or a tricycle from 1972. And the world is like, but look at all of these ways to get through life and achieve a destination. And we're like, yeah, that looks nice. I can never live up to what the Bugatti promises anyway. And so we take this gift of salvation, this free gift of God, and we complain a lot about it. And the world sees disciples of Jesus and they say, I don't know, they fight amongst each other a lot. They don't have a lot of grace for each other. Why would they have grace for me? They seem to get more angry than anybody else on social medias. Where's their God's grace in their life? Where's the change? Friends, this is why we want to make disciples, not a convert. I don't care to convert you to a religion. I want you to introduce you to Jesus. Because Jesus gives gifts out of just overflowing joy. 
All my parents in here know, right, when you've got that gift for your kid for birthday or Christmas and, and they never thought that you would be able to get it, you, you let on that you, they're never going to get it. And then their face as they're tearing into it and the joy, like you have more joy than they do in that moment, don't you? It's funny, I'll still struggle with this, and maybe you do too, where I'll be going through life and then all of a sudden I just feel God pour out on me in something. Sometimes financially, sometimes just uh, relationally, sometimes just my spirit, I'll just, he'll, you know, people will send words or whatever else and it'll just totally fill me up and I'll sit there and I'll think to myself, I don't deserve this. I know my thoughts. I know driving in Santan Valley, I did not honor you, God. I know I didn't. I don't deserve this. And God says, when I see you, I see my son. You have received his righteousness. And your sins are as far, what did we read, Psalm 103? As the east is from the west. And he wishes to pour out gifts on you. And so often we look at them and we say, no, I can't, I can't keep it up. And God says, you don't have to keep it up. If you would actually let go of trying to keep up your relationship with me and let my Holy Spirit lead you, you would see that I am upholding you. I will help you through the times of sorrow. I will carry you through the difficulties. I will give you joy when others are critical of you. <laughs> the gift of God. Job 1.21 says, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. You see, the very breath you breathe is a gift from God. Life is a gift from God. The sun for light, Jeremiah 31.35, is a gift from God. Plants, animals, water, clothing, grass. There's verses, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Genesis, Numbers. On every single one of those are gifts from God. Seasonal rains for the crops, companionship, male and female, gift from God. The ability to have children is a gift. And quite possibly my favorite, and I have it tattooed on my back in large letters. I don't. Psalm 127.2. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. <laughs> Just me, okay. See, but in my back, it just says, in vain you rise early, dot, 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 he grants sleep to those he loves, because I like to stay up late and I like to eat food. So I just cut those parts out of the scripture. <laughs> You're like, what's he saying about teaching? In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, but he grants sleep to those he loves. Sleep is a gift. In fact, I was reading an article a fitness article, I'm doing that again, and I was reading an article and it said that if sleep wasn't natural, it would be considered a, a drug, like a banned substance. That it does more for your body than any sort of HGH or steroids or anything else, that what they're finding with sleep is that it repairs, restores, rebuilds your body in such incredible ways that there's nothing else you can do. You can't eat, you can't work out, you can't run, you can't do anything else that sleep isn't a greater asset to your body. You know the Sabbath is a gift? The Sabbath day is a gift for you. 
It says that Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. It's a gift. How many people in here observed a Sabbath this week? Right? That's like us saying, God, I appreciate the thought. Thank you for thinking of me, but no thanks. You don't know how busy I am. I cannot afford to take a day and and rest in you. I just can't. The Sabbath is a gift from God. And I believe, hear me, if we begin to see it as a gift and not a burden, a day that I have to like move appointments and I can't do certain things, if we can begin to see it as a gift and not a burden, being a disciple of Jesus becomes a lot easier. Following his precepts, learning, loving others. Imagine an entire country full of Christians who do not Sabbath. This is like Twilight Zone, right? Imagine for me, if you will, a world where Christian men and women, given the gift of a day off, don't take it and instead choose to work. And we wonder why we're tired all the time, why we're frustrated and angry with people, why we're short with our children. If we only had more hours in the day, God says, no, if you only took one more day off as I gave it to you, I'm telling you, friends, the gift of Sabbath, do not look down upon it, rather incorporate it. All right, as we close here, I didn't even, we're speaking of gifts, right? And I didn't even get to like spiritual gifts. I know that's probably what you were thinking. If you saw the email, you're like, okay, is this all going to be on spiritual gifts and gifts of the spirit? I didn't even get to those. What I want you to realize and understand is that as the body of Christ here in Santan Valley and Life Point. These are our gifts to the community which you're a part of. So this is the church's gifts. This is what God's body was meant to be. His bride, the church, was meant to be a gift to mankind, was meant to be the one that went and took the message of Jesus to the world, not just through the words, but through the actions. And so over the course of the next month, we want to highlight these as God has laid a word on mine and the other pastor's hearts to show you exactly how we want you to be a part of this. Because this isn't meant for the pastors or staff. This is meant for all of you. We are a church this strong right here to be going into our community, discipled, taught well, generous, and faithful. Because we are made in the image of God, and our God gives good gifts. Amen. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you, as we come to your table and remember the sacrament of communion, I pray we would examine our hearts, Lord, that we would be honest before you, Lord, that we would lay down the things that we have picked up instead of the gifts you've given. Lord, maybe for some in here today, they just needed to hear that they need to Sabbath. They need to take a day off. And that in that, God, I pray that they would be filled to overflowing, that they would see such an incredible amount of joy and energy to accomplish the tasks of the following week that, that we couldn't help but continue to receive that gift. 
thank you, Lord. We're going to take communion. As a Christian, what communion is, is it's us remembering the body and the blood of Christ, that I am not saved, I am not made righteous by any of my own deeds or actions, but by the action of Christ alone on the cross. And so as he took bread and broke it with his disciples on the night that he would be betrayed at a Passover dinner, he intended to make it very clear and understanding that he is the divine Yahweh. He is the I am. And so he broke bread with his disciples and he said, this is my body, his body, which gives us access to the Father. And then he blessed it, so let's bless it now. Father, we bless this now in the name of your son, Jesus, as we show gratitude, thankfulness, and worship to you. similar manner the scriptures tell us that he took the cup of wine and he told his disciples this is my blood which is poured out for the forgiveness of sin it is the mark of a new covenant between God and man fulfilling the old covenant Christ came to set a new covenant a final covenant between him and man and it is through his stripes, that we are healed, that we are set free, that we are made new. So Father, we thank you that you withheld nothing to come after us, that you gave what was most precious to you in order to redeem us back. As we drink this now, we proclaim the death of Christ in his resurrection.